Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the One Broke Actress Podcast, an honest account of actor life plus a few lessons I learn in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, and I have a question for you. Do you ever stress around tax time? Do you like money? Do you hate misinformation? Yes to all the above? Me too. Today we have on Russ Garofalo, who is the owner of Brass taxes. If you have been with this podcast for a minute, you know he was back here talking about taxes last year, and he is back to answer even more of your questions. Taxes for creatives are not easy. They are very confusing. This system was really not set up to support the gig economy in which most of us live. And jumping from job to job and 1099 to W2 to W9 to it just all gets a little insane after a while. And it makes us feel super disempowered about our own money, not knowing how much to save for taxes. How do we put aside the right amount of money? How do we get the best deal on our taxes? We are talking about all of that and so much more today. Russ is here to break down his interpretation of creative taxes. We talk very specifically about 1099 versus W-2 work, the differences between them and the pros and cons of both. We also go very in-depth in talking about quarterly taxes or quarterly tax estimates they're both the same thing. If you didn't know that, I didn't. Hi. And it is such good information because I wasn't aware of the benefits because we are technically penalized for not paying quarterly taxes. What? How come we're not talking about this more often? We're going to talk about it today. He also does a great breakdown for us of what constitutes really great write-offs and how to make them simple for you to keep a hold of year-round, not just for those few weeks after your taxes where you swear next year is going to be different because we all know that's a lie. <laughs> And we don't need to beat ourselves up about this anymore. He also answers some of your guys' questions about doing taxes internationally. And we touch on S-Corp versus LLC. And don't sleep on the end of the episode because he gives you guys a discount code to get your taxes done in 2024 by the team at Brass Taxes. So without further ado, I need to stop talking about money and taxes because I have a lot to learn. Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy Russ from Brass Taxes. So back by popular demand, Russ from Brass Taxes. The tax guy getting popular demand. I mean, that's, you know, popular demand, but that's still, that's a good, that's a good recommendation. Hey, everyone loves money and most of us don't understand how to use it and how it comes out of our paychecks, wallets, and tax season feels like it looms in the distance constantly. So we're back in it again. It's great to see you. Thank you for your time. Russ, what? has changed from 2023 tax season to 2024 tax season. Yeah, there's a couple things that may apply to some people, but generally the thing that tends to be the biggest shift is just the standard level of volatility in all of our careers, jobs. We had the strike this year. Things like that have dramatic personal shifts because we do taxes for thousands of people. We see those shifts on like a larger creative scale. So like during the pandemic, we just saw a wave of people who were making the majority of their income via unemployment 
which like, you know, it might've been a few thousand dollars or $10,000 previous years. Now it was $20,000, $30,000 and a married couple making $30,000 each from unemployment. So those kind of societal shifts and industry shifts coexist or impact or are directly related to your end of year, what the hell is going on with my taxes situation. And I think that just adds a level of difficulty to like, you know, you really have to understand the parts that are moving because it's not like a normal career where you might be an employee and well, this year I'm making 4% more. And like you're on this linear path where it's like, we can have these swings because of a strike or you got a huge job or a series ended or whatever, like those kind of things just add to the volatility of trying to get this end of year stuff with any reasonable sense of accuracy. So those societal shifts are tend to be the larger changes that we run into. You covered this a bit on our previous episode, which I will have linked down below for everyone, but I would love to know, and every actor would love to know, we have seen a very volatile couple of years in a row. It feels like it was handed to us on a platter this time. What is preparation for this volatile career? Since you do taxes for creatives so often, how do we stay prepared for this type of income fluctuations? That's a great question. And it is something we kind of discuss in our general tax talk, which we have one with NIFA coming up in a week or two. It, it makes me realize that like that in and of itself could be a whole tax talk because to plan, you know, there, there's two separate steps. There's the like, I just need to live my life and have money so I can exist. And then separately, there's like understanding the ramifications or like the underpinnings of how our tax and financial system works just well enough so you understand what that means based on how you're making that money. It's almost like a parallel conversation we're happening when we're just out there hustling. Because it's like, well, are you hustling for a new gig that's going to end up W-2? Are you catering? Are you making 1099 money? Are you building people's websites just to bring in some extra cash during the strike or something? And while that's happening, you need enough understanding to be tallying, where am I ending up? How is this money treated? What expenses, if any, am I subtracting from that? It sounds complicated, but there's not that many rules and different ways of making money. And that's why we focus a lot on education. And that's why we market that way is because the volatility of our jobs is not going to go away. Yeah. And likewise, I don't think it's worth most people's money to spend 5% of everything they make even if they're in that position, to get someone to figure it out for them. So there's not that many variables of like how money is coming in and how that's going to be treated, but understanding what that's going to be like, and then just have an idea or an estimate of what you're going to be dealing with at the end of the year, and then just have that money set aside. Regardless of whether you pay estimated taxes or you just have it sitting in a bank account, the big difference in people's experience, their life getting to continue the way they hoped it would, is just do you have that money or not? And how much money are you going to owe? And do you have roughly that amount of money? We want you to be educated enough so you're not, you don't have like a, oh my God, like moment where you're like, 
this money is needs to be paid in three weeks and I need I need ten thousand more dollars or so, you know, something where you're like, that's not possible. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. biggest fear, right? Is like, oh, we have a huge tax bill and we don't have that money set aside. Is there a general rule for 1099s versus W-2 work that you would say is a solid percentage to keep you in the realm of a healthy savings for that? I can share with you. I don't know if we did the like freelance things to know PDF. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We totally shared some great PDFs last time. We can share them all again. So on the 1099 side of things, that's kind of like you over here is like on one side of the page is you as a business. And then your W-2 work, you as a person. And like they kind of exist in their own worlds. And then at the end of the tax return, they come together and you end up with one result. On the W-2 side, you just have to make sure your W-4 is filled out correctly. And how do we make sure that that is filled out correctly? <laughs> That's a tough one because correctly can vary based on how many W-2s are we talking about? Like, do you just have one? If you just have one main W-2, you could probably just check the single box or married filing separately, regardless of your marital status. I think most people listening to this podcast have about 15 tax return <laughs> documents. Coming right. Out. And that's where, that's where it gets complicated with actors. It's like, yeah, we'll have people roll in with 10, 20, 30. It really depends on what happened that year. And W-2s were not designed that you have 30 jobs in a year. For the gig economy, if you will. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that's what's weird is the gig economy generally refers to contractors. But in this case, like for an actor, it's like I was on that job for two days, made 10 grand and that was it. Then it was over. So we're especially actors we're, are using W-2s in a way that it's difficult to jam them in the right place. So your taxes end up all right. In the W-4, there's a box that says, if you have a job that pays roughly the same amount as this job, check this box. What it will do if you check that box is withhold some more taxes from your paycheck. And it's roughly equivalent to what zero exemptions used to be on the old W-4 form, which I would recommend to a lot of actors. The issue is with, with W-2s is they think that's all your money for the year. So each one thinks that's all your money for the year. If you get six jobs that all last a week, you only worked six weeks of the year, but you made 10 grand a job. Each W-2 thinks, one, you're making 10 grand a week, so they might take out a ton of taxes. Or they think you're going to make 10 grand all year, so don't take out very much taxes because this person only makes $10,000. And then at the end of the year, on your personal side, all of those W-2s come together and they're like, oh, you didn't make $10,000, $10,000, $10,000, $10,000. You made $60,000. And so we didn't take money out at the right tax bracket because $60,000 is in the I forget which, 12% or 22% tax bracket. But $10,000 is in the 0% tax bracket or 10% tax bracket. So just a question like that, that seems so easy or straightforward, really depends on your situation. That's really challenging just to get your W-2s right with that many. And then on the freelancer side, there's two main ways of dealing with it. Well, one big thing to remember is you're only taxed on your profit. So that's why business expenses are super duper important on your untaxed money. And because you're only taxed on your profit, only if you have profit, are you going to end up paying taxes? And there's two ways to think about that. You can either take roughly 20 or 25% out of your paycheck when you're paid. So you're paid $10,000. 
just take 2,500 and stick it in a savings account. Or you can look at with an estimate of what your expenses are, you can take, it depends where you live, what the taxes are, but 30% from your expected profit and set that in a, in a bank account, pay estimated taxes. So you can either work from the check you get paid or your estimate of the profit that will be left over after expenses. So those are the two main ways to do a quick back of the envelope math on what of this money that you're holding is not going to be yours later. Honestly, it I it sounds crazy, but that's like the simplest definition that I've heard in a long time because we're never taught this. And I know this is a big thing. That's why you guys are so big on education is because it is so vague. For those of you who are like, wait, I'm so lost. When you get a job, when you book a job, when you're working as a part-time employee of somewhere, acting jobs, et cetera, you get a W-4. That's what you fill out. And based off of how you fill out your W-4, it's how much taxes they take out of your paychecks. And then that is where you get your W-2 at the end of the year that says how much money you've made. Am I correct so far? Yeah, you okay, nailed great. it. Yeah. And just to say it super It only took 35 years for me to understand these things. It's, but think of how many times you have a good mindset about this stuff, but you're kind of treading on that area where you can get into self-blame, where you're like, I'm this old when I'm finally putting this together. What's important to remember is how often or regularly do you interact with this stuff? And it's quite rare. Even if you have 10 acting jobs a year, which is a lot, you're doing great. That's 10 times in a year. So the opportunities to learn this stuff and have it solidify and then have it accessible next time you need it are potentially vast expanses of like, you might get on a series and you're like, oh, I haven't thought about this for seven months. What I learned previously, does it still apply? It's a moving target. And I'm not saying you're doing this, but I'll just point out for everybody, it's Often we take it as a, a lack in ourselves or in our understanding when it's like, this is a societal issue and a lack of education. But it's easy to point that at yourself and be like, why don't I understand this? Because we're just inside our own you know, bubble going through the world trying to manage these things. And I think it, it's not incorrect to just recognize that like this is just a failing of society, the current financial education system. And it's just a situation that you don't do this that often. You do your deal with your taxes once a year. You deal with W-4s as many times as you get a W-2 job. So if you're given a W-4, you're going to end up with a W-2 and you're an employee. If you're given a W-9, you're going to end up with a 1099 and you're a contractor. So those are the signals of which track the employer is taking you down. And I'm not saying they always take you down the right track, but that's the way they're planning on paying you. Right. And so for our, for because we kind of went over the W-2, W-4 area, can we kind of review the W-9, 1099 of it all? Because I think that's where we really, it seems like the government has us taken care of and they're tracking that money and they're taking out some taxes and sort of in forms of like the W-2, W-4 employment of some kind. But independent contractor stuff is so wild west, it feels like. Yeah. I think for the people becoming contractors and paid on a 1099 has become so prolific over the last 20, 30 years that it feels normal to us having grown up in it. But like, this is generally a new concept. Like self-employed people were tax preparers, pizzerias, mom and pop shops, like those who were who self-employed people were. I think we're in an era now where a lot of people are self-employed just by accident. 
or like they just kind of fell into self-employment. Either you did a non-union job or you're doing a side gig, like doing graphic design for somebody's book, or you did whatever you needed to do while the strike was happening. So it's very much like we accidentally became a business. That's just a whole new weird idea. And with it comes a good amount of flexibility to write off those expenses and to say like, hey, I'm a business, I'm running a business, there are expenses and costs associated with my business. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like if somebody's doing W-2 work and also freelance work, and I'm like, well, do you use that microphone for your freelance work as well? There are things that like might be mixed use. And I'm like, well, those are advantageous on the freelance side. There's not necessarily a lot we can do with them on the employee side because of different tax changes. So what we want to pay attention to is keeping track of those expenses, at least monthly, and then knowing how much money you're going to owe based on the expected profit that's left over after taxes, if there's going to be a profit. So with the freelance 1099 side, self-employed side, anything that's not W-2, there's more freedom and flexibility to write off expenses, but there's also more responsibility because from your W-2, you're getting the check after the taxes have been taken out. And with your 1099 money, you're getting the check before any of the taxes are taken out. So you're looking at a number in your bank account that does not accurately reflect what you're going to end up with after taxes. So that's why I tell people to like get it out of your account because you're really just holding that money for you know, the federal government and California. Yeah. I move it all into a high yield savings account while it's not paying. I don't pay quarterly taxes at this point in time. I am accruing some interest at least in the meantime. But when you said quarterly taxes, I think a lot of people were like, oh, what? isn't it tax season? Isn't this when I do this? Can you talk through quarterly taxes? And is that something that creatives should be doing? What are the advantages and disadvantages of that? Yeah, I can talk through that. With all this stuff, there's a lot of not good branding. So there can be things of many names. So quarterly taxes are also estimated tax payments. You'll hear about an estimated tax penalty if you don't make them. And just the word penalty is kind of triggering for people and makes us feel like we're bad. Yeah. Part of me was like, am I against the rules? Am I doing something wrong? I'm getting punished. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm in trouble. I've done bad. Yeah. So I can walk through kind of what the idea is behind those. And then if clients who 100% understand estimated taxes and quarterly taxes. And then I can walk you through the pros and cons of why people choose to pay them or not pay them because there are pros and cons to both. And that's why I always encourage people to just ignore the word penalty and just think of it as interest. Okay. 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 It's like, because interest just sounds like, oh, cool. I decided not to pay this right now. I'd rather pay a little interest. Or like, I'll put this on my credit card. I'll pay a little interest, but it lets me control my cash flow better. It's just a business decision. It's not a, you're bad. Okay, great. Thank you, Russ. <laughs> so they're called quarterly estimated tax payments because they're due quarterly. And the quarters are first quarter ends April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and then January 15th of the following year is when the fourth quarter payment is due. And the idea behind that is we have a standing agreement with the government, both federal and state, obviously there's more variation state because there's 50 states, that if you owe the government over X amount of dollars, and there are some nuances in here, but if you owe the federal government over $1,000, they don't want to wait a year till tax time to get paid. So if you owe them 
And again, there's some nuance in here. It's not quite this simple, but if you owe them $10,000, they want you to pay $2,500 by April 15th of that year. And then if you're going to owe them $10,000 at the end of the year, they by June 15th, they want you to have paid $5,000. And then if you're going to owe $10,000 at the end of the year, they want you to pay $7,500 by September 15th, and then the full $10,000 by January 15th. The difficulty is who knows what they're going to owe at the end of the year in March. Yeah, that sounds insane. Right. It presupposes a level of regularity stability. control yeah stability yeah, yeah. we don't we we don't know her <laughs> right and it's like you could have had a cure january and you're like i made $100,000 in january that does not necessarily mean that you're going to make 1.2 million dollars by the end of december accurate so how much do you pay how much do you owe at the end of the year, it makes it really challenging to know what to do. So I generally recommend to do something like you're doing of keep it in a savings account until you're working with someone regularly. We're like, hey, like Sam, looking at the last two or three years, like you're pretty consistently, January through March are big, things go fallow for April to August, and then September to December are big. You're keep averaging somewhere in this range of income. Based on that, would you like to make estimated taxes that kind of account for that happening? It seems like it's pretty regular volatility. That cycle is regular. So that can be a situation where it might make sense for you to pay estimated tax payments. There's a couple upsides and some downsides to making those. I think the upside that people ignore is that it, it feels good. It feels good once you've put that money out of your hands because you haven't like flushed it down the toilet. You just paid it to future you who's going to do your taxes in February, March, April of the following year. So if you know you had a big first quarter and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to owe at the end of the year. I might not work for the rest of the year, but I'm going to go ahead and pay 5,000 bucks towards my federal taxes. What you're doing is just giving that to future Sam who's going to do their taxes at the end of the year and is like, well, whatever the result is, we've already got $5,000 in the bucket. If it turns out you don't owe $5,000, you'll get a refund. If it turns out you owe $10,000, you're already $5,000 of the way there. And I think people underestimate the feeling part of it because we're just thinking like in quantitative money brain and our brain will come up with a million reasons to hold on to our money because it just feels terrible to write a check and watch your bank account drop. But the con of paying those is let's say you gave that $5,000 for the April 15th first quarter and then the strike happens. And then you're suddenly like, I don't know when I'm working again. I'd rather you have that money to pay your rent in a savings account. And then potentially if you can't afford your taxes come tax time, the federal government especially is not a bad person to owe money to. They're very reasonable. The interest is not very high. As long as you don't ignore them for a long time, they don't come after you or do anything. They just want to get paid. They're like an overworked collection agency who's like, just don't ignore us, please. Just please like follow up with us. And if they ever need to, they can come down hard, but they don't want to. So I wouldn't want you to have given away that amount of money and then potentially come September through December, you're like, I need to put everything on my credit card. The interest you owe to the government is much lower than the interest you would owe to Visa. That was going to be my follow-up question was when you don't pay them, how much is that interest, aka penalty? It varies based on how expensive money is 
at that time. I hate that a sentence. A couple of years ago, <laughs> the idea of money being expensive. Yes, I hate it so much. My brain just like fell out of my ears. Right. When you think of money being expensive or cheap, it's the kind of thing you only interact with in certain worlds. It's a strange idea, but it's basically like part of the government trying to react and not let the economy get out of control. Yeah, this is the inflation we're hearing about so much. Right. You want to bring down inflation, you make money more expensive. So people start spending less. The place we often interact with it is what are our savings accounts paying us to hold our money? Because our money is valuable to them, more valuable, they'll give us more of a share because they can loan it out at 7%. They'll give us 4.5%. So that means money's expensive right now. But likewise, if we have money in a savings account, we're also benefiting from expensive money. Likewise, if you're trying to get a mortgage now versus five years ago. So that's all to say a few years ago, the interest rate was roughly 4% for a whole year of owing the IRS money. Now it's probably something like 7 or 8% for the whole year. But the interest for not paying estimated taxes is very low comparatively to the amount of tax you owe. It varies based on a couple of factors, but like you could owe $10,000 in taxes and owe a few hundred more because you didn't pay your estimated taxes. So a few hundred dollars is not nothing, but when you're looking at a $10,000 tax bill, it's not the thing that's like, oh God, I owe another $228. Do you have the 10,000? Because 228, we could probably figure out in the next month or two. Okay, that's really good to know. Yeah, let me think. Yeah, that's the other side is the con of paying is potentially ending up cash poor. If money is more expensive and you're sitting it in a, like you said, a high yield savings account, you're nullifying some of that additional interest you might end up owing. So it's not like you're just paying the government another 7% if you've been making 4.5% the whole year and you didn't have to be worried about making rent because you're like, well, if I really need it, I got this money right here. But I would encourage people to think out what works best for them. Don't get overly swayed by the word penalty. But also remember, your brain will rationalize not paying this money. It will make up reasons. You're like, it could be somebody who's consistently earned a quarter million dollars. And they're like, maybe I won't work for the next 10 months. So, and it was like, well, you know, for the last seven years, you've been pretty stable. You have a good amount of savings already. Part of us just wants to hold on to money because we hate letting go of it. We will rationalize that. But at some point, either for estimated taxes or tax time, you're going to end up giving it up. So if estimated taxes are something that could apply to everyone, is there a reason that tax season is such a popular time to pay taxes where you could be paying them year round? I, I would guess it's a number of factors. One, like we said, like prior to like 30 years ago, like self-employed people were much more engaged with their self-employed finances because this is something they actively chose. Like nobody becomes a pizzeria by accident. And suddenly they're like, oh crap, look, suddenly I have all this stuff to deal with. So it's like you plan that out and it's more a part of your life. Then for us, it's almost like an afterthought of like, oh, I thought I was going to be a W-2, but they gave me a W-9. So I know I'm going to be a contractor. So apparently I'm a business again. So I think that's a big factor. It's also the fact that it's quarterly and it's hard to estimate and we're not confident that we're not making the wrong choice. And you're just on your own in that moment where you're like, I think I owe them $5,000. How confident am I? Am I going to write a check for $5,000 based on how I feel right now? And so like that level of 
we're not trained in this stuff. We're not educated. You don't have a team in place to ask, is it $5,000? Is that just the answer? We're kind of in this world by ourselves where you're like, it's very easy to come to the conclusion of, I'll just stick it over here and deal with it later. Because we don't know who to ask or maybe even what to ask, or we feel embarrassed for having to ask. I think another part is the IRS has been underfunded for so many years that they're starting to get better things to make it easier to pay them, but they're just getting created. And likewise, you can pay them monthly, but that's not written into the tax laws. But for most of our brains, it would be easier to just think of paying them monthly, like collect three months worth of stuff, pay them once, forget about it for three more months, collect a bunch of stuff, pay them twice. It's this thing of this duration thing where it's like, it doesn't work well for learning or getting comfortable or rhythm. So unless you're proactively engaging with it, like somebody who owns a pizzeria might, it's hard for it to ever feel comfortable and that, you know, you have a good sense of what you're doing and enough confidence to be like, all right, future me will take this money. I'll go ahead. I'll write that check and move on. Yeah. Oof. Okay. This is so good. We got a lot of questions about what can we write off? And this was a big conversation that you and I had last time we talked because I have talked to tax professionals before who were very much like, by the book, this is what you can and cannot. The laws are this, the laws are that. If you did not make money as an actor this year, you cannot do actor write-offs. And you were like, that's not really how creative jobs work. And we're willing to have that discussion and fight that fight. Can we kind of dabble in that pool a little bit? Because one of the things you talked about was a lot of write-offs and we're kind of constantly told different things about them. Yeah. It's weird knowing that I'm just one more voice in this like cacophony of voices that are saying different things. So I will say part of this, you as the self-employed person or the taxpayer should understand what's going on and feel comfortable with the choices being made. The reality of what the tax code says is you can take ordinary and necessary business expenses. So it sounds lawyery because that's a weird way of saying anything, but it's very vague. Because what's ordinary and necessary if I'm putting together a sketch show in the theater? In one sketch show, we throw baloney and water balloons at one person <laughs> in a reenactment of the lottery or something. Right, right, right. You're like, suddenly, like, that's how you might get on SNL. That's an ordinary and necessary business expense if you're trying to put on a sketch show, get noticed, do a one-person show, get a bigger theater gig. So suddenly like water balloons and bologna slices are a business expense. The main thing that I think is important is you need to speak with someone you're comfortable talking to, which means you have to talk to them. They have to understand your industry. If you're in theater, film, TV, it's not important that I was a performer and writer, but it's like, that's normal at brass taxes. But at a lot of other places, they're just like, well, did you make money from that sketch show where you threw bologna slices and, and water balloons? And you're like, no, actually, I lost money. That to me is not a clear indicator that it's not a absolutely reasonable step to take in order to try and get on SNL or try and get into a bigger theater or try and get an agent. There's all these things where it's like, that's how this industry works. Often you're putting out money and running at a loss for years until you're not. And then when you're not, you're really not. And then suddenly four years later, then you are again. The results of your efforts do not dictate what you are labeled as in the IRS's eyes. You don't become a writer when you sell a book. You don't become an actor when you land like your first network TV or national commercial. It's like you got that commercial because of all the free crap you did, all the non-union jobs, the sketch shows, the theater stuff, you know, the hustle and bustle of just like getting yourself out there. So a big part of this is you should 
understand enough of the landscape. We try and acclimate our clients' radar to go through life being like, does this have, like, I'm about to buy like a quart of paint to paint my skateboard so I can have a green screen skateboard in this video I'm making. When you go to grab that green paint, you're like, this is for a show. This has to do with my business. We kind of need that like filter that we're looking through. And we need you to have that filter because as the tax advisor, if you don't tell us about the green screen paint you bought for the skateboard, we're never going to know. So it's really important that you have that radar up where you're like, I lost all my pens again. Well, it's like, well, you're a writer. Yeah, you need pens. But in the moment, you're just like, how did I lose another pen? Like I'm buying $12 worth of pens again. It's like those kind of things. This stuff is not rocket science. It's just stuff that we're not like you know, that's not really driven home in the way that we should be looking out for our own lives. But because we're potentially in that self-employed bucket or potentially making that money, we have to wear that filter on everything we're doing to say, like, is this a necessary and ordinary business expense? And then I would always rather clients come in with like, I included everything. I have a couple ones I'm not sure about I want to discuss, but like, we want to see everything. The better records you have, the more comfortable we feel deciding where on that continuum of necessary and ordinary business expenses to take, whether we're going to be aggressive, kind of middle of the road, conservative, you're inside a gray area where there is no right answer anymore. And you need to be comfortable with the fact that you're in a gray area. Like an expert, myself included, shouldn't come and it's rare that we could be like, oh, no, you can't do that. That's not allowed. It's very often of like, well, what was going on here? You know, you probably can't take your gym membership, but were you filming in the gym? Because then maybe it's not for working out. It's like that was a set that I was paying to use. I had an agreement that I could film there. So that's a different situation. And, you know, you're in this gray area and you as the client, as the taxpayer, it's you that's, you know, we're helping, but it's your tax return. You're signing it. You're saying under penalty of perjury, um, this is all true, but we're in that gray area. And so it is important that you understand what's going on because yeah, it's just a contract you're signing with the government saying this is what happened. When you say it's easier to deal with this when you have better records, what is like when someone walks in, walks in, has a Zoom with brass taxes and they have like, gorgeous, well-maintained records. What does that look like? Yeah. It's often they found a system that worked with their personality where they would not ignore a $3 purchase. So if I go out and I'm like, hey, Sam, like you've seen our website. Can you give me some feedback on it? I'll buy you a coffee. In the moment, what I'm really buying is free advice on the Brass Taxes website. What I'm paying for that is a coffee. But in the moment, part of Russ's brain is going to go like, it doesn't matter. It's $3. It's going to save me like 60 cents on my taxes. So part of my brain is like, I don't care. And if that is the conclusion your brain comes to, the system you're using to track your expenses is too complicated. There's too much friction. It takes too much effort. Find something that's simpler and we can help you. We have a lot of examples. There'll be some on that freelance things to know. So the evidence we see is that they're tracking it in some way that they're at least truing up monthly. Because if you're not doing it at least monthly, what you're heading into is a big pile of receipts, either digital or physical or both. And that part of decision-making really exhausts our brain. Is it like, what is this? What was this $3? I just wrote Sam on the top. What is it? Okay. I was at, all right, we were at a coffee shop. Okay. That's probably coffee with Sam. I went to L. Okay, great. Yeah. I took Sam. My brain doing that machination is exhausting to our willpower. Whereas like, if I just have like 
Sam website advice, $3, and it's in an envelope labeled meals and entertainment. That's not exhausting to my brain. I'm just like, cool, $3, 425, 861. The math doesn't exhaust us. It's the, what is this? What is that? So they found a system that works for their brain and they capture it. And then when they fill out the freelance side of the brass taxes website, which is slightly tailored for creatives and it's totally tailored with examples. I love but it. But it's really just the tax categories. And when they enter those, they're like, how much did you spend on advertising? And they already know. They're like, I have Dropbox. I have my IMDB. I have they're like, I spent $981.21. I spent, it's like when I see numbers of like $981, $1,011, you know, and it's like, oh, you've been tracking this. When people track it at least monthly, they realize they spend way more money than they would have if they estimated what they spent. Because all those $3 purchases, you forget about. You remember your MacBook, you remember your camera, you'll remember your internet. Like we can prod you for those expenses. And that's often what we do if you come in and be like, I don't have any expenses. We're like, absolutely not, not possible. I talked to Teresa, who also works here now, before she started working here, she was talking about when she was a video editor, she went to just like a Joe Schmo tax guy and she made $20,000 as a freelance video editor. She had one expense for like $50. And he was like, okay, $50. And then they just moved on. And then only when she came here and started working with us, was she like, there's no way a business makes $20,000 and spends 50. I don't care what you do. That's the there's best overhead I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 99.7% is what your profit margin is. It really ends up being, if they went traveling for work, they have their per diems, which is a default amount that you're allowed to take based on the city you're in for meals rather than tracking your actual expenses while you're there. And there's, you know, if you're driving, if you use your car for work, even if it's just to like run around and pick up supplies, like maybe you track the mileage and you know that you did just for work stuff, you put on 154 miles just for business related stuff. And that's tracked somewhere. So that's what it looks like when you're like, oh, this person has the right filter and they were wearing those goggles all year and they had a system that was easy enough to capture a $3 receipt, to capture a two mile drive. There's gradations to that. Don't make it an all or nothing thing. Otherwise you'll end up in this roller coaster of like, I'm gonna be perfect. I'm gonna track all my expenses in an Excel doc and never, and get on top of this shit once and for all. And then for you know, a week and a half, you keep that up. Yes. And then you get that $2 receipt and you're like, it doesn't fucking matter. It's a $2 receipt, whatever. And then suddenly that happens 10 times and you're like, I suck. I can't believe I'm blowing this again. And then you don't think about it for three months because you just beat yourself up so viciously that your brain doesn't want to return to the idea of that's fine if you missed a $2 receipt or just write it down and make your own receipt. And that's how they went through the world. And that's an iterative process. Like we only do this once a year. So it takes several, it can often take several years. And it's like turning an aircraft carrier. It's like, you can't just like go right suddenly. It's like, you want to arc towards the right and getting this stuff taken care of and getting better at it. But a big hindrance to doing that is shaming yourself, beating yourself up, or like talking badly about how you're doing and your efforts. Like, just take whatever's happening as a signal. If you don't care about a receipt, work on thinking of a system of tracking you would use and keep trying them. You'll find a right one and then you'll stop thinking about it. It will stop being a brain activity and just be a function. Like there's the recycling container, throw your can in there. 
Yes. Like it shouldn't be a highly thoughtful experience day to day. Yeah. Honestly, after working with you guys last year, I I just I downloaded an app called Mile IQ and I track my drives that are business versus personal. It was the slowest barrier to entry for me because I can't have so many systems and it has been great. I mean, I I have hundreds and hundreds of business miles from driving all over. So I was just really excited to also take that piece off of my mental plate of duties and move it on. So that was like so, so helpful. So I'm really excited. Yeah, about that's that. a great one. I mean, we're all carrying like GPS trackers in our pockets. You just have to know to hit the button and find one simple enough where all you have to do is hit the button. If you find yourself not wanting to do it, maybe that app sucks. Maybe like that app didn't do a good job of graphic design. It's like, don't necessarily put it all on you. It's more likely that we need a better system or like there's not an infrastructure to support all these things. We're actually, yeah, I think maybe we talked about it last year. Yeah, we're beta testing an expense tracker that just drags a credit card or bank account. So we just have you put all of your business expenses on one card or account, just so it's not mixed with personal and business. That's where a lot of the confusion comes in. So if you had one car that you only used for business and one car that was only for personal, then you know, however much the business car mileage went up, that's all business. But so much of our stuff is mixed that we need a way to delineate. This was business, this was personal. And so this app that we've built, we want you to make that decision based on which card you grab. And it doesn't have to be a business card. It's just like, oh, I use my Capital One for freelance expenses and I use Wells Fargo for all my personal stuff. So then we know if we're dragging Capital One and just organizing all those expenses that we're gonna default to, these are all related to your business, to your freelance business. And let's just go ahead and organize them and capture that. Regardless of whether using an expense tracker, that's a helpful hint for having stuff in less places and having a bifurcation between business and personal happen at your wallet. So you just have less places to look come tax time or come gathering up your receipts time. We are headed toward the end of our time, but I have two more big topics that we're going to have to refer people out to other places for. But one question we got quite a few is, where would you send people who have international taxes? So we have a lot of actors who work here and in Canada and in London and places like that. Do you answer that question first? Let's see. Like, where would you send? Would you send people? Is there a certain place that you do taxes like that? I mean, it depends on some specifics. Like we do taxes for expats of U.S. people living overseas. We do taxes of people on visas working here. There's occasionally situations where it's almost entirely an international tax issue and not so much a creative or tax issue that we deal with often. So we do have an international specialist, but most of the time for people in creative fields, we do most of those taxes that come in for us because we do have a lot of clients either they may go and tour in Europe with their band. And so they have that happening. They may live overseas, but if you're a US citizen, you still have to deal with your taxes here every year because we're taxed on worldwide income. And then there's other situations where people who are citizens of other countries come here and work. And depending on what visa they're on or what their status is, that will depend on what types of taxes they need to file. So we do have quite a few people on the team that deal with those international issues. But that first step is always like interpreting like what's going on? Where are you a citizen of? Where did you spend your time? How many days here? How many days there? Because that, that's a lot of what decides the permutations on where do you owe taxes? Who are you paying taxes to? Can you get a credit for paying France in the US? You know, making those decisions is often like understand the landscape first and then, yeah, like follow the pathway of what are your US obligations? We won't 
do your Canadian taxes or your British taxes or your German taxes, but we can often work in concert with the person or people you're using over there to say like, okay, well, if this is a situation, do your German taxes first. We'll get you a credit for taxes paid in Germany, but we have to know what that final number is first of what you paid to them. And then we can file your US taxes. That's very much like, uh, it depends what's your citizenship? How are you working here? Is it on a W-2? Is it freelance? Are you, you know, a citizen of another country, our country? And how many days did you spend where can also determine what forms you're filing here. Okay, yeah. great. Great. That's a great jumping off point for that. Speaking of things that depend on a lot of personal situations, the age old question of when do I start an LLC or do I start an S Corp or what do I do for my as people who are so common in the 1099 world? Give me a vague understanding of this. We also covered a lot of this on our first call, but I want to give people like an, an outline because it's such a huge question we all deal with. This question gets varies a lot state by state and city by city. Not a lot, but given where our clientele is, which is primarily New York City and California, Los Angeles, our general recommendation, and we actually, we have a good FAQ we could possibly link to or people could find on our website of like, should I set up an LLC and S Corp? Our general you know, way of thinking about this is keep it as simple as possible for as long as possible until there's a compelling sense for it either having a large benefit, either tax wise, or as far as what it helped, you know, it could potentially like make your business seem like a bigger business, which could potentially let you charge more. It really depends on like the first question I always ask is like, why do you want to set this up? Is it because you think there's a tax savings? There may or may not be. Is it because you want to, you know, start getting paid as like superstar productions instead of Sam? And you feel like you could charge more if you have like a theoretical overhead? So you're like, yeah, it, for this one day, it's $20,000. That person can just decide, do I want to pay $20,000 for this or not? And if you think them saying like, cool, write the check out to me, to Sam, they'd be like 20,000 bucks for Sam. It could be a different equation in their head. And other people are setting it up because they feel like they need to set something up. They're like, I want to be legit. I want to take this seriously. I'm going to go all in on this. And so they feel like there needs to be a doing of a something, a creating of a something as like a, a stake in the ground. And I would really recommend against that unless there's a compelling reason of it's going to save you a good amount on taxes, which it possibly could. But there's also overhead and carrying costs that people tend to ignore. It's expensive. I had to turn my businesses into an S-corp this year and it's a pricey endeavor. Yeah. And then if you... I remember, I don't think it was this year, maybe last year, there started being a lot of like bad tax TikTok information about like, put your kid on your payroll and set up a Roth IRA for them. The previous year, it was everybody should set up an S Corp. If you don't, you're an idiot. But they ignored all the complexity and the nuance of like, that doesn't work in New York City. It's different in LA. And they didn't discuss any of the overhead, which is like, you have to get another tax return done. You have to do payroll for yourself. You have to spend the pain in the ass time of understanding how all that stuff works. So generally, I would just say, avoid any tax advice that plays upon your fear or greed. Like watch these TurboTax commercials or TaxLayer. It's all fear or greed. You're an idiot. If you don't, you're going to mess this up. You'll get in trouble. Or like, this is how you get the best of everything. This will, You're going to get great, guaranteed, everything perfect this way. That's just good life advice for us. We should ignore all content that yeah, plays I, off our fear or greed. Damn, I love that. It's, it's like the lowest common denominator for getting people's attention, separating them from their money. It's an easy button to tap. 
you know, I could say like, if you don't use brass taxes, you can make a mistake. You could end up in jail. You could end up with the IRS knocking on your, and it was like, sure, anything's possible. The likelihood of that happening is not worth entertaining. The reality is you don't want to think about this stuff that much. You want to take what you're entitled to, but don't be greedy. If you made all self-employed income, you're going to owe taxes. That's just how it is. In the end, we get caught up in the money game. And in reality, we just want to get this done with, get a fair result, something that, you know, we feel like, good, I did the best I could. And we want to move on with our lives. So when you look at things like an LLC and S Corp, it's like, I'm always like, how much time do you want to spend on this? What if it saves you a thousand bucks? Everybody wants a thousand bucks, but what if it takes 20 hours across the year to get that thousand bucks and not like a fun 20 hours? like a pain in the ass, learning a new thing, 20 hours. I'm not having fun. Right. Yeah. I would recommend like, just leave it. I think a lot of people who do taxes, work in finances are just playing a money game. But the reality is for most people, we don't want to screw ourselves over or make a terrible mistake, but we also just don't want to spend that much time thinking about this stuff. This in and of itself is not the fun part. I like acting. I like performing. I like doing a podcast. I don't necessarily like want to spend 20 hours of my time just like fiddling with numbers and being like, aha, I found that receipt from four years ago. I'm going to go amend my taxes and save $54. There's diminishing returns on the time spent. So I think it's a lot about like, get the best bang for your buck. Find a system that works for you that doesn't take that much time. An S-Corp can be advantageous. We have some documents to gather information to see if it's worth pursuing, even having a consultation about. But it's the kind of thing you should get. It's worth spending 150, 200 bucks to have a consultation to be like, is this a good choice for me? Because once you set it up, you have to deal with it. You've now like have created a little business baby. You can't just ignore it. So it's worth making that an, like an educated decision based on your situation, not your friend who's also an actor who has a similar life, who they're an S-Corp and they're successful and their business manager recommendable. It could be a completely different situation, even if you make a very similar amount of money. They might be all W-2, but half self-employed. You might be all W-2. You might be all self-employed. So the same amount of money, similar career place is not necessarily enough to be like, okay, cool. I'll just make the same choice as her. And often people will say things like, I have an S-Corp, so I can write off everything. I can, I'm going to write off this meal. That is a very common sentence I hear. Yeah. It, it feels like like they have this superpower of like, it's almost like, it, I feel like it's mostly how we imagine the wealthy go through life. They're like, there's special rules that apply to me now. I'm an S corporation. Like I don't deal with the plebeian rules of taxes. I can write off my whole life. There's a difference between not getting caught and it being legal. And often these people just haven't had to show what they were doing yet. I think often we try and explain to people, be like, I'm not saying you're going to get audited if you do that. But if you do ever get asked, how'd you get these numbers? You will lose all of these expenses because they are not backed up as a business expense. Those are all personal. And if that gets undone, well, then you're just going to owe tax on that money plus penalties, interest, whatever else. That's what we mean about like, you can be as aggressive as you want, but then you have to live with that in the back of your brain of like, I hope nobody comes knocking for seven years because that's how long they have. Well, it's four years that they can come and say, show me all your receipts. An audit is just them saying, show me how you got these numbers. It's not like you're responding to the assistant principal where you could just say anything and they'll be like, okay, go back to class. They're going to say, show me how you got these numbers. And you'd be like, oh, this was a business trip. I met with some agents and they're like, okay, but you were there for 10 days. What did you do the first morning? And you're like, well, I, I got brunch. 
And I was like, so where'd you meet with the first agent? And you're like, day four. And they're like, okay, so days one to three are not business. Okay, what'd you do on day five? And it's like, they're a detective that's been lied to over and over and over again. It's not an assistant principal. You just want to be aware. And that's part of what we do is like, well, let's, we don't take the devil's advocate position, but we just want to make sure future you is also comfortable with whatever happens. So we're trying to take care of present you that doesn't want to pay any taxes and future you that might have to deal with the ramifications of whatever present you decides. We want our relationship to be a long-term relationship, not just like, okay, we did your taxes, pay us, see you later. We're hoping we're working with you in 15 years. And if you have to answer for that at any point, we want to know that we had these conversations and we made an informed decision that you understood. I love that. That's helpful for so many people to put it in just simple terms. If people are interested in your services, where do you want to direct them? Yeah, we are currently, we got our schedule all up. You can head over to brasstaxes.com and you can create a login. The website is designed to help get your stuff organized. It's all designed for creatives. And once you get all your stuff up, you upload your forms. It's probably still waiting on W-2s at this point. But once you get all that stuff together, you can also schedule from there. We'll have a, a SAM promo code. Let's do Broke Actress 50 for any new clients. Ooh, guys, I used my own code last year. So you should, you should use it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> broke actress 50 okay and you can save yes new people you guys thank you so much for your time this is it's so nice to have these kind of complete conversations and i love how you guys look at it and it's all about this is a collective thing it's not you versus the world it's not you didn't keep bad books it's that this is the world we're living in and let's do the best we can with what we have and then next year we'll just figure out a different system that works better and I'm legitimately excited to do my taxes this year because I feel like my system. It does start unlocked. to feel good. Yeah. yeah. I'm like waiting for my W2s it to, to feel come empowering. in. <laughs> yeah. It often moves from a place of like chaos and anxiety to like feeling like I'm just adding up a line of number. There's a level of empowerment where the way we think about money and feel about money feels fixed. And when you realize suddenly, oh, it's actually flexible. And I can change this feeling and this anxiety. It suddenly becomes a seductive path to follow where you're like, oh, I don't have to feel all this agita all the time and stress. Like one of our goals is just that we can give you enough education that you're worrying the right amount about this stuff, mm. but not more and not less. Because otherwise we do that roller coaster of I'm worrying too much. I'm not going to think about this. I'm worrying too much. I'm not going to think about this. And it just ends up being wasted effort and energy. And it's like, yeah, in the end, we just want to know that we're taking care of this and go back to thinking about things we enjoy more. Love it. I love it. Thank you, Russ, so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's really great talking to you. It's good to see you again. Bye.